In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, what makes a church? What are we doing here this morning? Why do we exist? Why do we gather? It's an important question for us this morning and every Sunday morning, but it's going to be a key question in all of 1 Corinthians, because the Corinthian church was a divided church. There were some in the church who claimed to only follow the Apostle Paul, while others claimed that they were merely disciples of another apostle or some other teacher. And so following Christ seemed to have been a secondary concern for them. There were some, as we heard last week, who ate meat and some who did not. And both sides apparently had little appreciation for the concerns of the other side. There were some who were taking other members of the church to court to settle legal matters. There were some who were scandalizing the church with their very public sins. There were some who argued that Christians should not be married. And the Corinthian church was simply a congregation in great disunity. In modern language, we would say that at its best, it was dysfunctional. In fact, when we consider all that they were fighting over, we might rightly wonder, why did they bother at all? And most congregations today typically have small arguments in comparison. We might fight about the carpet, how to paint the walls, what line items on the budget are necessary, what hymns we sing, and so on. But these are all trivial compared to what was going on in Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians, more than anything, the Apostle Paul is going to answer the question for the congregation about why it was that they exist. It wasn't the carpet, it wasn't the paint color, it wasn't for their own individual needs, but it was something else. And Paul is going to get to this by way of example with his own ministry. He explains to the congregation that he is compelled to preach the gospel. And he says, really, that he has no choice in the matter. The commission to preach the gospel was given to him directly by Christ. And you know the story from Acts chapter 9. Paul was a famous persecutor of Christians. He sought them out to arrest them and to silence them. However, Christ came to him one day on the road to Damascus and captivated him so that his life took a new path. Because Paul had this commission, he said he didn't want to accept payment for his preaching. He says he didn't make use of his full rights that he is owed as a servant of the church because he wanted nothing to get in the way and nothing to distract from what Christ had sent him to do, which was to preach the gospel. He has come, he says, to make Christ known, just as Christ was made known to him. Paul then goes on to explain that this allows him to be all things to all people. He's not trying to impress anyone. He's not trying to make money. He's not trying to gain influence. Instead, he is interested only in bringing the gospel to sinners who need to hear it. So he says he can become a Jew when he preaches to the Jews. He can become as a Gentile when he preaches to Gentiles. And he can rightly preach the gospel to free, to slave, to rich, to poor, to men, to women. And he does not have to insist on any particular paradigm because the gospel is for all. And so Paul puts himself aside and he makes himself merely the means through which the Holy Spirit opens up hearts through the preaching of the gospel. 
And so notice then how that addresses so much of the conflict in the Corinthian church. Can the members of the congregation stop dividing themselves based on exterior things in order to come together for the singular purpose of preaching the gospel? The good news that Jesus Christ brings, the forgiveness of sins, is what makes a church. God brings us together to hear that same message over and over in the preaching of the word and in receiving the sacraments. That same good news, Christ is for you. That is the word of the gospel. And true Christian unity starts with that word, Christ is for you. The church then always has to be careful to discern that other words and other messages are not taking priority over that message. And Jesus illustrates this in our reading from the Gospel of Mark this morning. At this point in the Gospel story, Jesus' fame is spreading, specifically because everyone knows he's a healer. There's a whole city waiting outside the door for Jesus to come to heal them, to heal their sick. And when Jesus goes off early in the morning to pray, Simon and the others hunt him down because everyone is looking for him. In other words, there are still lots of people in the city who are waiting for you, Jesus, to heal them. And Jesus' response is important because he says, let us go on to neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I have come to do. Jesus knew that he could devote his whole ministry to healing the sick. He could commit 24-7 to healing people and there would be no end to it. Everyone everywhere would come to Jesus all day long to heal any kind of affliction. So Jesus moves on. And Jesus moves on not because he doesn't have compassion on the sick, but because he says he has come not primarily to be a healer of illness, but he says he has come out to bring the gospel. Jesus does not allow the secondary thing, the healing, to overtake the primary thing, which is the announcement of the gospel. And so likewise for us, what makes a church is that the primary thing is the announcement of the gospel. Our church's confession, the Lutheran church's confession, the Augsburg confession, makes this point clear enough for us when it says, and through the true unity of the church, it is enough to agree concerning the doctrine of the gospel and the administration of the sacraments. It is not necessary that human traditions, that is, rites or ceremonies instituted by men, should be everywhere alike. In other words, what the Augsburg Confession tells us, the thing that makes us a church, the thing that unites us as a congregation, is the gospel. It's not that we have a church calendar it's not that we all dress a certain way. It's not that we have a certain tradition. It's not that we use a certain hymnal. It's not a particular building. All of that's secondary. And all of our ministries outside of the preaching of the gospel, likewise, are secondary. As a congregation, indeed, we want to help the poor and hurting. We want to help those we can with our financial benevolence. We want to have times of fun and fellowship together and so on. But none of those things make us a church. Only the preaching of the gospel makes a church. And this is great news for us. It's great news for any congregation. Because it's not our holiness or our piety that makes us a true church. 
It's not having everything perfect together that makes us a church. Instead, the heart of it is that we can come together every Sunday and receive the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. And we can apply this even to us as individuals. What makes you a Christian? It's not your holiness. It's not your generosity. It's not your knowledge. What makes you a Christian is that you have received the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. And so whether we look at our congregation, whether we look at ourselves, we ought not to look inward to be comforted by what we do. Instead, our confidence and our certainty comes through what Christ has done for us. And so what makes us really, what we really are, is Christ. What makes us a true church is the gospel. It's gathering together every Sunday morning to hear the good news that Christ is for you. Amen.